Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to travel not too far. We're going to Vienna, Austria, and we're going to talk about strategy sprints and how to accelerate your B2B sales strategy. Because I know that in the media you hear a lot about B2C fintechs, but actually most of the funding recently went to B2B fintechs. And many people realize that maybe that's a pivot that they should do. However, enterprise sales are notoriously difficult. So how can you make it easier for yourself? How can you be more successful? That's what Simon is going to talk about. And I'm curious to find out more. How are you today? Hey, Rudolf. Hey, everybody. Excited to be here. All right. Brilliant. So how did you get to do what you do today? Because... I know you will talk about strategy sprints or strategic sprints, but sometimes that sounds like a bit of an oxymoron because sprint is something you want to do quickly and easily and for a short period of time. But strategy often is kind of a marathon, right? So how did you get to do where you are today? Are you a runner or not? Let's start with the why I do what I do. I want to live in a world where people act out of love and not out of fear. That's my being, right? I prefer being in love mode than in fear mode. And so everything that I do starts from there. Now, 21 years ago, I needed a job. I got a job at a big consultancy. And there, you know, I would fly around to the headquarters of the biggest brands. And I was their strategy advisor in a team of smart people. We would tackle the biggest problems. And we would try to solve them with them. The challenge was a numerical challenge, but also an emotional challenge. And I realized that some topics people care more about than other topics. And so if we go back to my why is love, not fear. I want to be with the topics that people care about instead of the ones that they don't care about. And so I stayed with the topics where people had most passion when they asked me to work on them. For example, it was go to market, how to enter a market, how to win in the market and how to stay in the market. Those questions people really cared about. If I said, guys, we need three more days. We are not there. We don't have a plan on how to win against your competitors. They would say, no problem, Simon. We will stay three days more over the weekend. No problem. And so I really felt that they care about that. That's relevant. And to me, work is an expression of love. So if they say, yeah, everybody will stay here three more days, then I know we are doing the right things. So that's for me the compass, right? Love or fear. And after doing that on a global scale for a global consultancy, I went off and did my own thing. 
because I wanted to increase even more the freedom to say yes and no to projects that are aligned with my values. And the best way is to be a freelancer. So I became a freelancer. And that thing then grew year over year. I see. All right. So you're a freelancer and you have your own business now, which is called Strategy Sprints. You already gave us a bit of an answer why you want to do it, that people care about the business problems they have, what kind of problems they have. But let's sum it up again. What is the problem that Strategy Sprints is solving and why is it worth solving? Because as I often say, unfortunately, there are many problems in this world, but they're not necessarily commercially viable for investors or for freelancers to bootstrap and sort out, right? So what is the problem you're focusing on in your services and why is it worth solving? We solve the B2B sales problems and those are shortening the sales time from awareness to closing, making sure that the people don't burn out, so the capacity and organization problem, and then making sure that people hit their monthly sales numbers. So it's shortening sales time, preventing burnout, and ensuring that people hit sales numbers. And those three things we have focused on for now 21 years, and we have gone really deep. We work only with B2B teams, only consultancies, marketing agencies, financial advisors, recruiting advisors, that have to solve these B2B problems with long sales cycles that they want to shorten. And with teams that they need to keep motivated, keep going and reduce fluctuations, especially in these months. And that's what we have specialized in. That's what we do. I see. All right. And we did say you're based in Vienna, in Austria. So what kind of clients are we talking about and which industries do you have a focus or preference? Do you touch regulated industries or you try to shy away from them? How does that work from client's perspective? And where I'm headed with this again to say, why is it worth solving? In other words, B2B sales could be attractive, right? Because if you want to build a B2C business, maybe you need millions to build the brand awareness. It takes you years. If you close that one big corporate account, maybe you can get there much faster. But that's the theory. It's sometimes more difficult in some industries than others or not. How do you see it when you look at your key clients per industry? We work with consultants, management advisors, financial advisors, marketing advisors, PR advisors, recruiting advisors that are mainly now in Los Angeles, in Miami, New York, London, Munich, Zurich, and then a little bit dispersed over the rest. But these are the main cities. And... When they ask to work for us, we pick the ones that are doing revenue at around 50 to 100,000 per month right now and want to double that in 90 days. So we are quite specific in who we pick because our program, the Strategy Sprints program, is built to solve those three things. Shortening sales cycle, decreasing the risk of burnout and making sure they hit sales numbers. And there are very specific things. It's 12 weeks, 12 bottlenecks that we need to solve. And it's perfect for those B2B teams that are around 50 to 100K per month right now and want to double that. 
we work with a team of four. It's the owner and also one person who represents operations, marketing, and sales. So it's a team of four on their side. That's the sprint team. And we come with one sprint coach 24-7 for those 90 days. Imagine Iron Man having Jarvis. So they are Iron Man and we are their Jarvis. And they have 24 access to us. And they have one sprint coach for 90 days. And that sprint coach has a sprint university with 274 templates, swipe copies, tools ready so that the team saves time because we want to accomplish big things, right? Saving 10 to 14 hours per week of their time by better organizing, which reduces burnout risk and keeps people around. We want to make sure the sales pipeline is full and gets closed every week. And to do that, you need tools. Otherwise, it takes you months to achieve that. But we can do it in weeks because we have those tools plug and play ready in the Sprint University, which we have built over years. Now it's 21 years that we are filling that and updating that. All right. So you mentioned consultants, for example. So let's just uh, dive into this. So who are their end clients then? I'm just trying to paint a picture. For example, one one of our clients, he trains the marketing departments of big enterprises. He works with the head of marketing and he trains their whole team and empowers them to do better marketing. So when the NASDAQ is looking for a marketing consultant, they call them. His problem number one is he takes eight months from the beginning of a conversation with the NASDAQ to closing the deal. And eight months is not that viable anymore because there are more and more new entries. It's a digital sales situation. So everybody with $2,000 starting capital can start a similar company. And they are now all out there in the market posting on socials. Here I am, here I am. So they have more competition and they don't want to wait eight months. So their main question is, how can I go from eight months to two months? And yeah, absolutely. So you said your program is 12 weeks, right? So that's the key question. Let's just pick one problem. How can you shorten that enterprise cycle? It's notoriously long. And when I was asking about regulated industries or not regulated and other, or industries, I meant somebody exactly like Nasdaq, right? So I think it's typical that could take more than six months. So... Give us an example. How can you make it shorter? You mentioned some of the templates and tools that you have. Are these just templates which basically are your institutional knowledge put into some documents? Or are we talking about automation as well and things like that? We come from many angles. And the core is daily habit, weekly habit, monthly habit. So daily habit is how are they allocating their time today and what will they delegate tomorrow? This is where we find the time suckers. The weekly habit is the dashboard, the marketing number, sales number, ops number of this week. That's what this, what's this team start collecting and the sprint coach measures with them every seven days. And the monthly check is a competitive analysis and cutting 15% from investing into the two features where they are currently losing against their competitors and reinvesting them into the two features where they are currently winning against their competitors. So it's a continuous budgeting, a monthly 
rebudgeting of where will we reinvest 15% more into what, where we're winning right now. So these are the three core activities. If you want, that's the operating system for the whole sprint. This happens over the 12 weeks. And then this dashboard will tell us these activities are working, do more of that. These activities are not working, do less of that. Now the sprint coach takes from the sprint university the modules that are needed. And the module is a quick video, a quick template, and even a swipe copy. So for example, if from the sprint dashboard, we get informed that the cold calling is not working, maybe the pipeline is converting well. So the conversion conversion script is fine, but the pipeline is not full, then we know, oh, we have to go to the call script, to the prospecting scripts. And so the sprint coach would pull the prospecting script, which is literally the best script that we have in that current week, because we are always optimizing, tweaking, A-B testing, cold call scripts, for example. And in our community, also everybody's testing A-B, so we always know what's working right now. We share that with our current coachee. They put in 10 minutes to just insert their features and they go out there, use the script. And now every seven days, we know if it's working or you have to tweak something. If instead the pipeline is full, but the sprint dashboard tells us that the closing rate is low. Okay, we have a ton of leads, but we're only closing 20% then we know we have to go to the closing mechanism. Let's get the recording from the closing calls, the demo calls, the discovery calls. And so we get the recordings and we go through the 11 steps of closing a B2B deal. And we look at the order of things. Many times they're doing the right things in the wrong order. There are also 36 sales gaps that you need to close and sometimes two or three of them are open. So we go through the other checklist, the 36 sales gaps, and we identify which one is it. And we can go deeper into any of those. But as you can see, we have the whole B2B sales process mapped out and we have 274 tools, templates, swipe copies ready to go exactly in the one that's the bottleneck this week. And we will do that 12 times with 12 bottlenecks. All right. Understood. Understood. Sounds exciting. Now, sales and marketing often go hand in hand. So... Is there any piece of advice that you would give your clients or listeners when it comes to marketing? Because often we have discussions on this podcast that everything now is digital. So even if you're a consultant, if you're a one-person shop or you're a small team, I'm not sure whether cold calling works, frankly. But people talk about SEO and other things, and maybe that's also difficult when you talk about B2B. So... Is there any favorite mix of marketing skills or tools that you would recommend or any other advice if you just focus on marketing, not the entire B2B process, as you mentioned? Yeah, marketing needs to work together with sales. Otherwise, you are losing energy, you are losing, you're wasting actually resources. That's why in the weekly meeting, we have marketing, sales and ops reporting together. So marketing will say, hey, guys. I brought you 37 new subscribers this week. What happened with them? And then sales will go, only three of them landed on my calendar. And we investigate what happened with the space in between. 
And this investigation together is really important because otherwise you have usually silos between those activities. And people tend to think of sales as the more important thing, which I, ag I agree because before you reach 35K per month, you are still exploring ground. 35K per month is a line in the sand that's telling you, okay, you have no product market fit, you are onto something. And this is the first moment I would actually start doing marketing and spending the first dime on marketing. Usually people spend too early on marketing before 35K per month. And that means that they're creating maybe a ton of attention, but that attention doesn't get converted. So what we focus on is first optimizing operations and sales so that you have a great offer. We call it an irresistible offer and we help them optimize up to 100 points from 100. So we have a checklist that gives you in 10 items, 10 elements of, the, of your offer. And so we improve that from 40 to 80 to 100. When you are at 100, your offer is so good that people take it now with a high conversion rate and you have a low risk on their side, low buyer risk. And so now you're converting at 70%, 80%. Now, when you bring in more attention and you have a high conversion rate of 70%, 80% in a repeatable fashion, almost automated because you can automate 85% of the B2B sales. Now it's the first time that we recommend start doing marketing. And ideally, it's, it's great to have both an inbound marketing that's repeatable and also an outbound sales that's repeatable. But the order of things is important. Don't start with the wrong piece. Otherwise, you run out of money and you are losing energy. So start with sales, create an outbound sales system that works. And part of that is definitely cold calling. I would recommend to reconsider that. I know many think cold calling doesn't work. It does. And another part can be cold emails. That has a much lower hit rate, but it's so low maintenance that it's actually also a good thing to have because it just takes you 15 minutes per day to just pick the ones that are interested and take them from there. So have some systems, repeatable systems of creating opportunities. Those are all the cold systems, cold call, cold email, cold LinkedIn outreach. And then put on top of that, but later when you have that machine converting, then you put on top of that an inbound system like podcasts, YouTube, we love YouTube and podcasting and everything that's inbound marketing because it, it pre-selects the right people. It filters them in and it filters the wrong people out. But it takes much longer to build and it will cost money. So you will want to have the machine ready first before you start turning up the volume. Absolutely. And I think a great point about the sequencing of this, right, and conversion and the attention because the attention doesn't equal money despite whatever the media is trying to say right it has to be at certain scale and it sounds like you are very organized and you focus on the numbers and the process right so just that we need to separate noise from the facts and so i like that a lot now moving on to nuances of it so when you say 
you have that process mapped out over more than 20 years experience. Do you adjust the approach depending on the industry? And again, focus here would be financial services or maybe healthcare and other regulated industries and others. Is that different? Do you think that consultants that try to pitch to banks or financial services firms have it tougher than consultants who pitch, I don't know, to architects or to construction companies? Yeah, it's funny. I think the B2B sales is very different from the B2C sales. But inside the B2B, I think it's very similar. So we're we're coaching around 16 different industries. But what they have in the similarity is it's a high ticket offer. And so it's it's above $20,000 that you're asking for them. And whenever you are above $20,000, now it's the same situation. The situation is, why should I trust you? Can you show me that it works? What if it goes sideways? And what are the mechanisms to get out early if it doesn't work? Those are the main things in the high-ticket B2B sales. And the next thing is it is that it's very personal. It's very customized because you don't need 100 closes per week. You just need a couple and you are happy. So you can really take those people very seriously. We go back to love, not fear. You have to like them because you will spend time understanding them, serving them, making them successful. That's why we love the high-ticket B2B sales, because we just pick a few people per week that we sprint with, and we can give them full attention. And we love every moment of that, because it's creative, we are learning, they are learning, they crush it, we get feedback, we get referrals. So it's full of positive flywheels on an energetic level, on an economical level, on a marketing level, we become partners. They become client testimonials. They become success stories. And so are there differences in industry? I would say no. The main difference is are you selling below 20,000 or above 20,000? That's 80% of the similarities. Because as soon as you are above 20,000, now the questions change. The questions are really, what happens if this goes sideways? What is my risk? Their buying risk is now very high. And when their buying risk is high, that's the main topic. In the next three sales contacts, in, in the sales conversations with you, that you have to reduce their buyer's risk. And so that's 11 steps. And one of them is... What if this goes sideways? One of them is, does this really apply to me? Another one is, how do I involve the others? How do we win over the others? Because in B2B sales, you have up to four buyers. So when you say, what's the value for you? It's actually, there is one value for the CEO, the executive buyer. There is one value for the CTO, the technical buyer. This is, there is one value for the economic buyer that's sometimes the purchasing department or the purchaser and many more, up to four. In the end, it's also the user on the other side, the user buyer, and they have different questions. CEO only cares about one thing. Can this help me gain market shares or build a moat around my current market shares? 
technical buyer thinks, is it expandable, is it upgradable, or will it break when we scale? And I have to change it. How easy can I click people in and out? The user buyer thinks only about, is it easy to use with our current habits and weekly meetings and weekly culture? Like how we operate right now, does it fit that? Does it fit our culture? And the economic buyer, the purchaser, they have their own checklist, it's unemotional, and they're trying to get a couple percentage of the last price. And they have to compare you with others and to tell the story why they succeeded in comparing you and getting 10% off. So those are two, four different value propositions for four different people in the B2B world. And it's very similar if you're in health or finance or sports, that doesn't really matter. But if you are above 20,000, you have to think in this complexity. And that's more similarities than differences, actually. Spot on, even though I would say in financial services, though, you need to make sure your offering is regulatory or compliance aware, right? And sometimes that happens if you come from a tech background, you come new to financial services, you feel like you can build things and break things, but that doesn't work there. That's, I would say, would be the only nuance I would, from my perspective. But it, otherwise, yeah, all spot on. Sorry, go for it. It is, but it's the same for all their competitors. And that's why we still have to become creative. It becomes just a boundary condition that is yeah. the same for everybody. And so, again, it's about how do we tackle it? Because yeah. our competitor yeah. also can't do that. So what can we? What gray area can we find and which angle can we find to solve that? But the wonderful point you said, to buyers, there is not one person behind the company. It's at least four people, four customer personas, as you mentioned. Let's move on and dive into a little bit again to your tools, because you mentioned how you analyze the process, how you can improve it, etc. But also on your website, you say that you help your clients to automate 85% of their business. And nowadays, when people hear automation, they're thinking AI, algorithms, software, things like this. So what are we talking about here when you say automation? Maybe let's come back to this again for a moment. Yes, all of that. If we go back to our why, to live in a world that comes from love, not fear. Now, 85% of sales is actually admin, sales admin. So it's not really a human or a creative or a relationship-based thing where you're creating value. 85%, like we had our sales meeting before this interview and my team was, okay, which opportunities did each of us create? And they told three names. And then we were looking for the LinkedIn URL of those people and putting it into our CRM. Real sales is made of 85% stuff that can be automated. So of course, my team is looking at how will AI do that instead of us before next week? Because when we come together, we don't want to enter any URLs. We want to think about them and see, all right, what's the change they are embarking? Why now? What have they tried? What's stopping them? What's their potential? What are their clients wasting in terms of time and money? They don't even see it, but they are the right people to fix it. So these are the real important questions, the 15%. That's the 15% going deeper in understanding them and in helping them become successful, helping them see something that's there, but they don't see it right now. 
helping them differentiate and helping helping them win. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the best thing you can do for a sales team is helping them win. As soon as you win, that creates culture, creates momentum, creates energy. Absolutely. Which leads to your success stories. I know you have plenty of customer testimonials on your site, but can you tell us maybe, and I know it's hard to say not your favorite ones, but some of the success stories, how you analyze the process, how you improve it, how you help people to cut the time, hit their targets and improve their B2B sales process altogether. Sure. So Sunny Abdul-Jabbar, he's in Los Angeles. He runs a company called Vetstech USA, and they are tech guys delivering solutions that are hard to solve tech problems. Like where do we hire coders? How do we onboard coders? How do we train developers? How do we track the performance of developers? How do we find the best developers? And those are big questions right now in, in California. And they all go to Sunny and say, please help me solve this tech problem. So he was doing like many professional services because now that's a B2B situation. And he had many different offers with very different levels of profitability. Some of them were just below 20% net, net profitable and others were much higher. And as usually, his team was stressed because they were doing so many different things. So what we did in the first month was to simplify the whole business and to pick the winning horses in his offers. And so we simplified the whole business. Now, one main offer for one main client at one main price delivered in my one standard way. And we optimized that in 90 days. Of course, the fear was, will we miss out of a total addressable market? And you have to live with this fear, but you have to trust the process because the process always works in the end. And so we picked that, we optimized 12 times. We optimized sales, marketing, operations, client onboarding, the delivery, which then improved the profit rate, net margin profit rate. And after 90 days, Sunny wrote us a love letter and it says, sales went through the roof. He has just one marketing channel that's LinkedIn, but he's playing it very well every week with one focus that's just solving the blockchain problems, so the Web3 problems, which is one sub part of all the tech problems, right? But a very current one. And then he's now the number one person in his area for everything blockchain developers and blockchain solutions. And so his weekly LinkedIn newsletter is called the three things blockchain that you need to know this week. So everything became very simple and very coherent. His positioning is very clear and his sales went through the roof. And that was in 90 days. Fantastic. So there you go. This is how to do it. So before I, before we go, I typically ask people if they have a favorite business book they can recommend. But I know you wrote the book yourself. So maybe let's talk about your book. What is it about? I love books. I even run a book club. And the book that I wrote is right now on Amazon. It's called Strategy Sprints. It's getting translated in Chinese. And it is a cookbook for how to run a digital business, a digital high-ticket B2B business. Because it's so many moving parts, and I needed the cookbook for myself to run my own 
business, which is a consulting agency. And so I wrote it and I shared it. And it's now uh, literally one chapter after the other. How do I need to solve marketing? I go to chapter two. What do I need to do to to solve the sales problem? I go to chapter three. And then up to chapter 12 and 13, the hiring chapters and how you actually hire, interview, and onboard new people so that you can scale. It's a cookbook, very practical cookbook on how to run a digital B2B agency. And it's called Strategies Prince. Fantastic. So if you want to know more, check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes, of course, but Strategies Prince uh, by Simon Severino. So what's the best way to reach out and find out more? And what kind of people would you like to hear from, whether potential clients or partners, investors, employees, what have you? We are hiring coaches right now. So we want business scalers who have scaled at least one B2B business and are ready now to have what we call the sprint life, a very free life where they just pick a few people per week that they coach in scaling their business and they get access to all our tools, 274 tools for scaling businesses, B2B businesses specifically. So we are hiring coaches and we are always here to serve the B2B teams doing around 50 to 100K per month that want to double that in 90 days. And they can reach out to us via strategiesprints.com. Fantastic. So thank you so much, Simon, and good luck to you and Strategy Sprints. Thank you. Keep rolling, everybody. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.